So I want to tell you the story of, uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but yesterday, the last couple of days actually, I was squeezing my mind like a lime to try to come up with a topic for today. <laughs> and I was struggling. The last time we covered a topic that is very important, very uh, interesting, which is correction of children. And it has a lot of, there's a lot of sides to it. And I was wondering, well, should I continue with the instructive classes? I kind of wanted to go into something more devotional this time to take a break a little bit more. Uh, but I wasn't sure. And then I, I looked down the window and I see three moms talking. And I was like, there is my inspiration. So I ran down there and I, I, they saw me coming and they said like, oh, father, what's, what's happening? And I, I told them, well, uh, I just need to find the topic. And then someone said, patience. And I was like, okay, that, that's a good one, actually. It's kind of in between devotional and instructive. And I won't tell the rest of the story. It's really funny, but I won't tell it. But uh, what I find interesting is since then till now, God has allowed me to exercise patience to a, a good degree. So, or rather, I've been put in situations to exercise patience. And that, I found that interesting because it's like, okay, I, I'm talking from the first lines now. We will see that patience has several virtues of perfection. I'm between the first and the second. But uh, maybe the first, I don't think the second is kind of like a long stretch. Uh, but that's what we will talk about today. The first thing when it comes to patience is this, the, the real concept of patience. Most of us, when, we, when, you know, when you say to yourself, I wish I was more patient. Usually the idea in our mind is, I wish I wasn't suffering. You know, you think if I was patient and, uh, I don't know, my child spills the coffee on my computer and destroys it, I would be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Everything is fine. You know, the, the sky is shining blue and all that stuff. So, and, and you think that is patience, right? If, if, you, if bad things happen and you're just unaffected. And actually, as we will see, that's a vice. That is a vice contrary to patience. Patience means to suffer things and, and to persevere in that suffering and, and do it in a good way. So patience is not about, it's not a virtue that prevents us from suffering. It's a virtue that teaches us how to suffer properly. Um, so that's a false notion to think that patience is going to be something that allows me not to suffer. The definition that I'm following a theologian that he wrote in Spanish, but I like him a lot. He's very good. And the definition that he gives us of patience is this. He says, is the virtue that makes you withstand without sadness in spirit, without uh, shrinking of heart, suffering, whether it be physical or moral. So that is a true notion of patience, something that uh, a way to suffer well. When you look at the word itself, um, paciencia, patience comes from paciencia. And paciencia comes from passion, from pasio, from the Latin, the passion of our Lord. When you speak about the passion of our Lord, what you're saying is the sufferings of our Lord. That's what it means. So the very name of the virtue means suffering, paciencia to suffer. Now here a question might come up. Someone might say, 
Well, well, let's, before we go into that, patience is also a virtue, right? Now, who knows where the word virtue comes from? Anybody knows? Okay, in the camera? No. Uh, virtue comes from vir, which means two things. It means strength, and it means man. So actually, the word in Latin for man is the same as that strength. But virtue comes from here. So every virtue requires some strength, and patience itself is derived from the cardinal virtue of fortitude, of strength. Now, one might say, you know, we're talking to the Christian mothers here. One might say, well, are women supposed to be strong? You know, I, suppose, I think the man is the one supposed to be strong, so the man is the one that's supposed to be patient. You know? <laughs> I'm supposed to be weak. Uh, no, women are supposed to be strong as well uh, in their own fashion, in their own fashion and according to their, their role in life. Uh, if you think about it, this is something that I mentioned before, the, the first quality that is mentioned of the woman in the scripture, when you read the, the epistle for the widows, the strong woman. Who will find the strong woman? That is the first thing that God finds. And here's something that you might have, might have not heard before. In the Bible, and I almost feel, I almost shrink for mentioning this right now with all the stupid, crazy things from gender ideology. But uh, in the Bible, in Genesis, when they speak of Adam and Eve, there is one passage where our Lord says, where God says, uh, the man is vir, and the woman is virago, which means something like derived from men. But that means that women also have a, ro a room for being strong, and a very strong uh, place for it. So we see that the virtue of patience is fortitude, and it, it's the way to suffer well. Now here, there's, there's something that I want to mention. You know, we're talking about virtue, and we've heard this before, but I want to encourage you to this, to actually look towards perfecting yourselves in virtue and acquiring virtue and, and, and getting that for yourselves. Virtue, I'm, I have to say, I've been teaching uh, Catholic morality to the students, so I have all this stuff in my head right now, and I'm kind of passing some of the class over here, but it's interesting. A virtue is a habit, right? Meaning, when you do something once, when you do a good act or a bad act once, that's just one act. If I repeat that act constantly, it becomes a habit. Now, we call it habit as from clothing. You know, what the sisters have is a habit. What I'm wearing right now, you could call it a habit as well. It's something that you put on that is yours, that is right with you. And the reason why I mention this is because when you acquire a good habit, it becomes easier for you to practice. This is something that they teach you in moral theology as well. So why do we want to acquire the virtue of patience? Why do we want to get better? Because the more that we have the virtue, the easier it is for us to practice. Do I make myself clear? And so if we practice it, the more and more that we practice it, it becomes a second nature to you. I give the example always of a bicycle. I remember when you tried to ride a bicycle for the first time, is there anyone that doesn't know how to ride a bicycle? Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to put you out you know, here into the open. 
Where was your childhood? Um, when you start learning to drive the bicycle, you remember how you're, you know, like barely coordinating and, and trying to make it and trying not to fall. I have one of my siblings, I won't say who it is, but one of my siblings is particularly, particularly clumsy. And I don't think she ever got it right. Uh, <laughs> we would not let her drive, drive a bicycle. Once, once you learn it, it becomes such a habit that you just don't notice. You're just, you just get on the bicycle and just start driving. The exact same thing happens with virtue. If we practice something enough, it becomes a second nature to you. And so it's very easy. Now, when I say this, I don't mean to say, as we mentioned before, that you're not going to suffer. It's not like the first time that you come into your room and you see the underwear on the corner, you'll be like, oh, and then you, okay, practice it. And then the second time you go and say, peace, I'm not going to be. And then the third time you go and say, I love that underwear on the corner. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen, too. But what's going to happen is that for you, it's going to become a natural reaction to, to suffer virtuously, to do it with virtue. So having covered that, one more, one more thing that I would like to mention. Virtue, I always compare it, you know, they had the good habit. I always compare it when, I, when I'm speaking to the younger people to a jewel. When we go to heaven, you will have in your soul every good virtue that you practice, every good act that you practice. If you practice a virtue to a very high degree, that will be a jewel, so to speak, to you in heaven, meaning that's something that you will enjoy for all eternity. I'll give you where I get this from. St. John Bosco, as you know, had a school with a bunch of children, and when Dominic Savio died, St. Dominic Savio, he appeared to St. John Bosco. And St. John Bosco saw him come to him, and he saw that he had a beautiful garment with uh, many jewels and beautiful things. And in this garment, he had a belt, a red belt made of diamonds. And St. John Bosco says that, in, I don't remember if it's in this vision or in other visions that he says it, but he says that when he saw these apparitions of people, he would be able to read in the things that he, were seeing, that he was seeing, he would be able to read his heroic acts, his, his, his deeds. So St. Dominic Savio had this red belt, which was very beautiful, as sort of a reward for his chastity, for his purity. And it was red because it cost him pretty much blood to keep that. So when you, when you go to heaven, you will have every virtue, every good act that you practice as a jewel, as something that will be yours for all eternity. We shouldn't practice virtue for this reason. You know, it shouldn't be for my sake. I want to practice it for the love of God. But God loves us in such a way that he wants us to love ourselves as well. Our own perfections, our own glory, even in heaven, is something that redounds in the greater glory of God. So those are two good reasons to practice it. And there is more, as we will see. Before I go into the actual virtue, I don't want to give you what are the opposite vices. Because I found this interesting, actually. Some of these things. I don't remember when I read it, and then when I study it again, it's interesting to see it again. So there is two. One is obviously impatience, when you know something happens and immediately the fist goes to the table, 
bam, why are you doing this again? You put too much salt on my beans. No. Uh, impatience, that's the obvious one, right? When you complain, when you lose control, when you lose your temper, all those things. The other, the other opposite vice is the one that I hadn't thought of and is the one I just told you about, to be insensitive. If bad things happen to you and you don't suffer from them, you're either, with all due respect I say it, you're either in the spectrum or you are silly and goofy and, and maybe not in your right mind, or you're insensitive. And that's also a vice. If I don't suffer from things that I should suffer, that's a vice. That's something that I shouldn't have. You know, that's what a lot of psychopaths have, where they just don't care about the suffering. If you don't care about your own suffering, you don't care about the other people's suffering. So both are wrong. We should feel it. The question is how we feel it. Um, so far, any questions? No? Yes? So when you say insensitivity, are you talking about basically just not caring that the clothes are on the floor, or that you know, you're stewing salt and beans, or whatever it is that's troubling you? You just don't care? Is that what you mean by insensitivity? Yeah, yeah. You, you, I mean, there is. there can be, this can happen for many reasons. As I said, actually, most of the times when a person has that situation, when a person acts like that is because they are actually not in the right mind one way or another. But it can happen also out of, uh, what's the word in English? You know, when you reach that state of mind where you really don't care about anything else in life uh, and you're just totally... Uh... <laughs> no, <laughs> it actually worked the other way around. No, yeah, but there's people that can reach exhaustion, depression, uh, apathy. Apathy, that's the word that I'm looking for. And there's people that can reach such a level of apathy that they just don't care about anything else. So obviously, in that case, it's not that they're patient. It's rather that they're just uh, lacking in many other virtues. Is that part of sloth? It could be, yeah. Apathy is actually kind of on the same, on the same way that sloth sometimes. And it's also, this is a digression, but it's interesting. It's also in the same uh, ballpark than sadness. Sadness leads us usually to sloth and apathy. So all of those things are, are things that we want to avoid. And you know, while we're on that topic, I do want to give you, uh, well, I'll, I'll say that for, for the end. I'll just write it down here before I forget. So that, that, that would not be a vice. And, and here's something that is good to consider. Sometimes you might see a person that seems to be very impatient. And you see yourself to be very patient, quote unquote. And you say to yourself, wow, how virtuous I am. And how this, <laughs> this wretched sinner, you should go to confession. Um, I had this happen to me, actually, because I'm melancholic. So it takes a lot for me to, to get angry, uh, or rather to show it. And I had a brother, a, a monk that was, you know, my brethren, who was choleric. And he was like, like boiling choleric. Like he was full of energy. Very holy man. Like I, I, I do not doubt to say that he is very, very much holy than I am. And he's actually, he is probably the one that I owe my vocation to through his prayers. But the reason why I mentioned this is because, for example, something would happen. And for me, it was very easy to keep my temper because my blood is not boiling. Like, my blood is made of ketchup. <laughs> you know? uh, to give you an example, when I was in high school, 
I remember this one time this guy came over to to get me into a fight and he get, he got and he stood in front of me and he hit my he hit my lips with his head he went like this to hit me and I I looked at him and then I said to myself punch him <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't punch him I was like well I don't want to fight I was just like I ah, forget you so I, I couldn't I couldn't hit him I just couldn't bring myself to hit him because I wasn't angry enough with him hitting me I wasn't angry enough if it had been my other my dad brother that I told you I mean he would have probably answered <laughs> but he was much more virtuous than I was because for me it was not a big effort to be patient for him to be patient in the slightest thing was a huge effort and I could see him controlling himself over and over and over again I remember this one particular case so we were working in the metal working uh, in you know making chalices and all that stuff and he was ordered to allow me to work on that he would not want that because I'm very clumsy as well I'm not a very good artist so he had to watch me as I'm hammering metal where if you make a mistake it's going to be scratched forever there's no way to repair it and I could see him just going <laughs> and then I would look is that okay yeah yeah keep, keep, keep going <laughs> I mean he had he had stones in his liver I'm sure but but <laughs> the reason why I mentioned this and this is very important is because don't think that someone is impatient just because you see them lose their temper. You don't know what they're going through. If, especially if you see that a person is very energetic, if they are very, you know, have very strong will, if they're very uh, choleric, you could say, in the proper way, uh, a little bit of patience that they show is heroic. And for, for you or for someone that is not like that, that that's not too hard. Okay, so that, that's good to keep in mind. Okay, as we have mentioned this, um, Roger Marin here gives us five degrees of perfection in patience, meaning five, five, you could say, levels where you can improve more and more. And I'm going to give you each one of them. Again, this is good to know, for us to know. You know, one, one might say, well, I might never reach that high one, the, you know, the highest one. But it's good for us to know so that we know what to aspire and how to get there. So the first one that he mentions, he defines it as conformity with the loving will, excuse me, resignation. And I apologize to the people in the camera if you can't see the black, the whiteboard. Uh, I put it here because you couldn't see it anyway, if it was on the camera. So the first degree is resignation without complaint. I'm going to read it, translate it from him so that I make sure that I'm not missing anything. He says, the first degree is resignation without complaint or bitterness uh, to the crosses that God sends us. This goes a lot with what I was just mentioning. Uh, people might think, well, I'm very patient because, you know, uh, My husband did the last take, and he didn't even offer it to me, and I didn't say anything, so I'm very patient. But then during the rest of the day, I was like... 
you have like the little angry wife in the brain saying, how could he do that all the time? I saved the money for it. And you're like, is everything okay, funny? Yeah, yeah, dear, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> or, or it can also happen, and we're all guilty of this, I include myself at least, that one might be angry, and you shoot yourself, but you're very bitter. And then it's like, well, what's wrong, honey? Nothing. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, you want to go out? No. <laughs> and so that's not patience. That's, to put it in the right words, that's just cowardice or weakness. Because one is not strong enough to say what one is mad about. Or it can happen, I've been there, where one is confused. One doesn't know how to address it. One doesn't know, should I say this? Should I not say it? Or you are struggling to be here, and you're trying to keep quiet, which is a good thing. But so while, while there is complaint and bitterness, you're still struggling in this first degree. So that's why I was saying that I'm kind of there, trying to move to the second one, but you know, it's, it's not easy. OK. So you reach this degree when the thing comes to you, and you say, OK, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to show myself normal, at least normal, if you're not happy. You know, I'm going to keep doing my life and just try to get out of it. At the end of the talk, I'll tell you how to get there. Because you know, one thing is to know the goal, but then it's like, OK, how do I get there, Father? You're all looking at me like, yeah, you better tell us that. <laughs> the second one that he mentions is, OK, so I saw the underwear. I stood quiet. I walked out, and then I was going to be bitter with, let's say, my teenager boy, and I was like, OK, no, I'm just going to be normal. And I'll be like, OK, pick up your underwear whenever you have a chance. The second one is actually, he mentions peace and serenity. Peace and serenity. When those same crosses come, without, again, having any sadness or melancholy. It's, it's beyond resignation. In resignation, okay, you might not be bitter. You might not complain, but there is some sadness. You know, there is some, some, something there. In peace and serenity, the sadness is gone. It's not, you're not sad about it anymore. To give you an, a visual example, I hope this is properly closed. You know those drinks, the, the what are the kombucha drinks? Have you seen those? Where you have like the you have the kombucha drink and you have like the what do you call that? Mother. Mother? That's what you call it? <laughs> really? That's very providential. <laughs> well, you have like the, the, the stuff on the bottom, right? And so in this first state, it's like the, the drink is all shaken. So everything is just floating out. So yes, you are being patient and everything, but there is not peace. When you go to pray, the it's like the temptation is coming. When you're cooking, you're like thinking. Argh. So you're, you're still struggling and fighting that out.
okay? So we're gonna have to have poor quality because the, the, old, the other camera is failing now, but okay. We'll just continue with the class. So the third degree, the third degree would be, and okay, I would say this, the first and the second degree are the ones that we can acquire with our natural strength. Those are the ones that, that we can, you know, put our own effort into it and God will give it to us usually. When we go from the third degree onwards, you're going to hear it and you're going to think to yourself, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could ever do that. And, and the reason why is because from the third degree onwards, I would say, and this doesn't say it in the book, this is me saying it, I think that for that you have to have supernatural grace, meaning God has to give it to you. It's not going to come just, just through your efforts. All, for all of them you have to have grace, but especially for the third and onwards. The third is what they call sweet acceptance. He says, sweet acceptance in which you start to manifest the interior joy when, the, when God sends you crosses for your greater good. <coughs> so you've gone from just being resigned, but sad about it, you know, maybe not too happy, to being peaceful and serenity. And then sweet acceptance <coughs> is when bad things come and you don't see them as bad things anymore. You actually start seeing them as, okay, this is a, a sign of God that he loves me. This is a way in which God is showing me that, that he loves me as much as he loves our Lord. Um, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Jesus says that. She says, think that he loved no one more than our Lord Jesus Christ. And look how he treated him. So that, that shows you that the way our Lord loves you is when he sends you crosses. That is a, a good sign of love. And I'll, I'll tell you some stories later on. So, well, I'll go to the fourth degree and then we'll talk about something else. The fourth degree would be, and this is where you're gonna go like, no way. <laughs> this is complete joy. When you see the, the underwear yeah, in the floor and you say to yourself, Yes. <laughs> a chance for me to practice patience. Yes. How do we accept these crosses when they come from our children? Ah, we're going to. Well, actually, that is. Okay, that's I mean, going to be. We're going to skip a little bit. It's kind of like your own fault because you, as a parent, didn't help the child mm -hmm. to become better. We will. We will discuss that, but I'll, I'll give a preview of that. The hardest cross that we can have, the hardest one, is when you're trying to save someone's soul and they oppose you. Because there is no good side to one that, to that one. You know, the, that, that is the one cross that is actually quite bitter. Because all the other crosses you can say, well, God is sending me this underwear so that I practice patience. Or, you know, my husband comes and says, we're going to go on a trip in 30 minutes. There goes my plans. Well, you can say, well, there is an opportunity there for me to practice patience. But when you're trying to save someone's soul and they're opposing you, there is really no good side to that one. And it's very bitter. And to give you some perspective, that was the cross of our Lord in the agony in the garden. You know, he, he wasn't complaining about the cross or the scourging or the crown of thorns. But he said, 
let this child pass away from me. But he was saying is, I, I don't, some say, some say that what our Lord saw was all those souls that were going to reject his passion, all the souls that were going to go to hell. And that was, he was saying, I don't want to see that. He was asking, our, uh, you know, God the Father, spare me that part where I see them rejecting me and I see them refusing all this and see them damning their souls. That's what I don't want to see. And God did not spare him that one. He gave it to him. And the same goes to our Blessed Mother. When, uh, when we speak of reparation to our Blessed Mother and her sorrows, and you think of her sorrows, most of the times we think of her sorrows in the sense of, you know, she was a mother suffering for her child. But this is my belief. I don't think there's any theological certainty that you can have of it. But I believe that our Blessed Mother was also given to see all the souls that were going to reject her son and all the souls that were going to be damned. And for her, that also was piercing to the very core. So my sorrow as well has been her sorrow. Yes, and uh, well, you can identify it with it. And here's a beautiful thing. You can offer it up. That, that is the greatest sorrow that you can have. So you can actually offer that same sorrow for their salvation, which is the ultimate way in which God makes good out of evil. Someone's doing something evil, then there's a mother suffering for that evil, and then the mother offers it up so that it comes back to the person and, and, and heals them and converts them. That is what St. Monica did all her life. I mean, her sorrow wasn't, you know, uh, my son is not wealthy enough, or my son, is, her sorrow was, my son is losing his soul and opposing me when I'm trying to save his soul. And so here, you kind of wish that you could do what lifeguards are supposed to do, you guys know what lifeguards are supposed to do when someone is panicking? Knock them out. If someone is panicking, you, you're supposed to swim up to them and punch them in the face and knock them off and then just swim them back. So you kind of wish you could do with your child. Like, hey, go save your soul. Uh, no. Okay. Maybe there's a way. I don't know. But there is a greater sorrow that there can be. So uh, in there, patience will be still manifested in keeping your peace and serenity. And the sweet acceptance is not gonna be of the situation of your child, but the sweet acceptance is of the pain that you are going through. That is where you accept that, you know, the pain that I'm going through. Uh, and a good, a good method to do that is to identify yourself with our Blessed Mother and with our, with our Lord. Um, yes. Just to follow up on Lisa's question, she was kind of asking about what if you feel like it's partly your fault? So oh. the, the struggling with the, it's all my fault that my kids misbehave, basically. Yes. Here's something actually, uh, so the name of the book, sorry, just quick question that they're asking, is Moral Theology of Roger Marin, which is actually found in English too, I believe. Um, so, funny story. The topic that I wanted to cover before someone came up with patience, I was going to talk about the women in the Old Testament, and I was going to start with Eve. And Eve is a very good example for those kind of situations, because this was, this would be a whole talk on itself. But and I don't want to ruin it for when I want to do the talk. But <laughs> I mean, consider Eve. We always think of think of Eve as a mythological person, almost. She was a real human being. She was a real woman. And I want you to consider this. Imagine that you are the woman mm -hmm. that messed up all of mankind. 
<laughs> Talk about burdens. I mean, I really feel sorry for her because imagine going out of paradise and your husband telling you, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, I mean, imagine, seriously, imagine the tension that there was with them for the whole of their lives. Imagine Eve's feelings when she saw her son, and there's a, a writer that speaks of this. Imagine her when she saw her son murdered, and she realized that was on me. I started. Which there is a, a caveat to that, but I'll, I'll mention that later. The amazing thing about Eve, and we should really, in a way, look up to her, is that she's a woman that did penance for 900 years. And, and you know, worth it. I mean, it's like, but that we miss that part. You know, we hear the bad part about Eve, but you can imagine what kind of humility she must have had, what kind of sorrow she must have had, how many tears she shed during the rest of her life for 900 long years. And so she, she made up for it. And, and you know, we, we do say that she's in heaven. And, but that, that's a good example for moms. Because, you know, it's very easy as a mother, if you, if you think you have failed, to say, well, I'm going to just stay down there and, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. And Eve, you can see the strength that she had in getting back up and saying, well, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to do penance. I'm gonna, not going to give up. And she didn't give up. And, uh, and with her, you see as well that no matter how good of a mother you might be, you will always have children that do mis make bad decisions. And there's just no way around it. There was Abel. Is that the right pronunciation in English? Abel? Abel? Abel. There was Abel. Was a very good child, and Cain, Cain, how do you say it? Cain, and Cain was a very bad child. So it's like it, it's up to them; it's their decisions. Um, but there is a good consolation, you know. We we all make mistakes. Any person who is in a high vocation, and motherhood is a high vocation, priesthood is a high vocation. Any person who is in a high vocation will make mistakes. But the beautiful thing about it is you can you can make up for it by prayer and penance, mostly. But that is where it's so important, what we will mention just now. Any other, any other questions before I continue? No? Okay. I hope the people can see us now in the camera. Let me know in the comments if you can see us now. Sorry about the mistakes with, the, well, the problems, technical problems. You will pardon me if I drink coffee. I'm melancholic, so I can't talk very well. If I'm... So, in a Novena, where it says, if this is for for the better of my soul, or if this is the will of God. You say, the salvation of my child. How can that not be good of lifting of God? I don't understand. In the Novena, it says, um, your petition, and then it will say, if it is the will of God. So she's praying the novena for the salvation of her soul. Oh, for the salvation of her soul. The will of God. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be the will of God. So usually they say that because there's people that pray, as I said in the last class, you know, for their dogs to cure, things like that, which is fine. But, you know, if in those kind of cases where it's something that is, you know, might be with the will of God or not, you say that. But when it's the salvation of the child or anyone, it's always going to be the will of God. So... Okay, we've reached the fourth one, and you see how this, this three and four, there's a fifth one, but before I go into that one, um, you see how these ones are definitely not normal, you know. I rarely have seen people in this stage, to be quite honest. 
Now, I don't know most of you very well enough, maybe you are, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I can say that, that most people are struggling in this last three at least if they're practicing patience. Now, I promised I was going to tell you how or where do you get this. And this is actually something very important. It's not in the book, but it's essential. To reach to these degrees, this, this degrees of patience will parallel with your spiritual life. And particularly with your prayer life. This is me saying it. I don't, I'm sure there might be something of this in some book. I can't really quote any right now. It's me just saying it out of experience and what I've seen and read in other places, like putting it all together in my head. I think that to reach to these degrees, you have to have mental prayer. You have to have a, clear, a close connection with Christ. Because this goes together with your spiritual life, and this means also uh, connection, let's call it, or union, I should say, rather, with Christ. So as, much, as you join Christ, as you unite yourself to Christ through prayer and, and a spiritual life, you will eventually reach these degrees of patience, which is where the saints were. You know, St. Teresa, for example. St. Teresa would speak about this one, complete joy, saying, is, is, is something like what a soldier experience when you know you're a soldier and you're going to go and fight a battle and you know that after the battle, you'll be able to get some loot out of it. You'll become wealthy. That's what these souls experience. When they receive something that they can suffer, it's like, well, here's a chance for me to, to gain virtue, to gain merit, but most importantly, to unite myself to Christ. And that is the attractive that they find. The souls that are here know that every single suffering that I suffer brings me closer to Christ. And that means, and that's all I want. That's all I'm caring about. So if you're asking me, if you ask me, Father, how can I stop, how can I go from having peace and serenity when I see the underwear to getting here, and I'm giving a silly example, well, it's through this, through mental prayer and connection with Christ. That's why I insist a lot on mental prayer. You know, it's something that, Nobody likes to start mental prayer, you know, rarely, most people are like, ah, I don't like mental prayer, you know, I have to sit down in there, and then it's like I'm all distracted, and this, this and that, but that's, that's the way, that's the way. Um, so that's why we will continue to discuss mental prayer in other classes. This, uh, I, I, I add to, to prayer, I will add two things also. Uh, penance, I'll explain that in a minute, and fidelity. When I say penance, I don't mean that you should be, you know, uh, coming on your knees from your house to the church, scourging yourself and leaving a trail of blood through the sidewalk. <laughs> that would be very hard to get off, so don't do that. Uh, but what I mean is just mortification, you know, to, to keep yourself mortified. Uh, to not give in to everything that you want. It can be, you know, the temperature of the water with which you shower. It can be the stuff that you eat. It can be not putting sugar in your coffee. It can be whatever you, you find. It can be putting up with someone too. 
that's a very good penance, putting up with someone and unhappily, right? But all those things are penance. For a mother, your children can also be a good penance. Um, <laughs> that's the serious. <laughs> and when I say fidelity, this I stress a lot, fidelity. Because if I'm not faithful to my duties, if I'm not faithful to what I have to do, grace is just going to escape of my hands. Okay, I can be praying a lot of rosaries, I can be doing a lot of penance, but when it's my duty to create my child, if I don't, that was grace that just went off through my fingers. If I am doing everything that I ought to do, but then when my husband requires something of me that is my duty to do, and I don't do it, same thing. Grace is just pouring out. So fidelity is crucial because that is like the, the tar that you're putting on your ship to keep it floating. These three things, I'm summarizing a lot, but these three things are what really make your spiritual life grow and your connection with Christ grow. It is for this reason <coughs> that the Jesuits would always say to their penitents, to, to the people that they guided, always meditate on the passion of our Lord, always. Even if it's 10 minutes at the end of your day, always think of something of the passion of our Lord, because that is what really gets you into patience into suffering well, passio, right? If you think of the crown of thorns, for example, this talk is gonna go really long, but what is this, it's okay. If you think, for example, of the crown of thorns and you have God humiliated, God is humiliated there, and, and by whom? You have the soldiers that come, and, and most of the times when we think of the passion of our Lord, we really don't visualize it. Even the movie falls very, very short. But imagine our Lord sitting here in front of you, and he has the crown of thorns, and his whole face is bleeding. He's sweating, and he can't see anything. His, his beard has been torn apart. And when the soldiers tell him, sit up, he sits up. That alone is enough to, to give you the chills, to think, ah, oh, God is being ordered by this drunken scoundrel. And God stands up and, and they say to him, raise your face so that we can hit you. And our Lord raises his face. It's just when you think of those things and then your husband tells you, I don't know, uh, take out the trash. He's like, man, I got it easy. You know, if God, the son of God did that, I can be humble. You know, I can, I can, I can suffer that part. And when you think of our Lord and the soldier getting the, the, the reed and slamming him in the face with the crown of thorns, all those things, you don't consider them usually. When you think of the crown of thorns, you always think of the picture. Think of the real thing, the real thing. And it's just thinking of it is mind-blowing. Mind it's really huge. And then you really think to yourself, I have nothing. I have, I have, I'm not suffering anything, anything at all. So I, I went a little bit too strong there, but I think I made my point across. If you meditate on those things, Anything becomes easy. When you think of our Lord with Judas and how he loved Judas and all the things that he did to him and how he went and, and washed his feet. And when he washed his feet, he was probably saying to his heart, Judas, I'm your master. I'm your God. I'm your creator. What are you doing? And Judas still went and sold him. And then he betrays him with a kiss. And then think about that. Imagine... Put yourself in the shoes of our Lord when you're meditating. Think of your of you being our Lord and your son or your daughter betraying you to death with a kiss. 
And our Lord, what did he do? Friend, friend, why have you come? Very, very tempered words. Just to get to his heart. He could have slammed him right there. and He didn't say anything. Friend, why have you come? And so that you meditate on that in the morning or whatever you are able to meditate. And during the day, when that situation comes, you're going to have that spiritual strength. And that is going to become a habit. And that's where you get here. When you start uniting yourself to our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time that that happens to you, where, for example, you have to suffer if you think that a child is not doing well or something, you unite yourself to our Lord Jesus Christ. This is big stuff right here. I mean, I'm talking about if we do this, we're, you're really getting to really a good degree of, of uh, a good spiritual life, something that really changes uh, our, our perspective. Any questions so far? No? I have one. I don't know. It's not relevant. Excuse me. I heard one time somebody said there had to be a Judas. Somebody had to betray him. Somebody had to do that. Mm -hmm. So is it that, not so much what he did, but that he didn't repent? Because our Lord would have forgiven him. Our Lord would have forgave, forgave him, yeah. And he could have repented. But it wasn't like Judas had to be Judas, though. Anyone else could have been Judas. Uh, there had to be a Judas. There had to be someone to deliver him. But here's something, you know, just something huge. But, I mean, someone would have delivered our Lord to be crucified. And even, even without someone delivering him, you know, uh, the Romans could have, the priests could have. So it's not like Judas was, in a way... Uh, he didn't. He 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 wasn't lacking a freedom of choice. He had free will, and he made his decision. And the same thing happens with our children. You know, a lot of times, I'll I'll, I'll answer this question just by going into this uh, digression again. This is something you've heard from me thousands of times. That's everything. Uh, when a lot of times when we pray for our children and you pray and pray and pray for years and years and you say to yourself, why has God not converted him or her after so many years of praying and nothing happens? And there's two things to consider. The first one is that the one thing that God will never touch, ever touch, is our freedom of will. That is the one thing that God never touches to an amazing degree. And so that, that is, he will never do violence on our free will. He will do everything else, but that is the sanctuary that God has decided not to touch because that is basically our likeness to him. So if God were to destroy our freedom of will, that would be it for us. We wouldn't be in his image and likeness. But, here's the but. What God usually does is he will wait until the moment where grace is going to be efficient. And many times that's going to be in their deathbed. God knows if I give this person the grace right now, they're going to turn back. They're going to go back. They're not going to last. And it's going to be a worse situation because now they would be in a worse sin because they have rejected all these graces. So a lot of times we pray and pray and pray for our child or for our nephews or for our grandchildren. And we're like, where, is the, where are the results? And God is waiting for the very last moment where he knows if I get him here, he's mine. And he won't be able to be stolen away from me. God is a good hunter. You know, I bet the bishop would like that, that quote. <laughs> he is a good hunter. Okay. So I want to tell you a story, you know, talking about patience. I met, I met someone that I could say probably was around these, these degrees. 
I don't know, as I said, I don't know because, you know, I don't know people that well, really. I talk to you every now and then, you know, but uh, this one particular lady, I knew, I knew her somewhat well because I would visit her often. And I'll just give you the story so that you know to what degree this can go. Who's familiar with Huntington's disease? Huntington's disease is something that uh, attacks the connection between your nerves and your brain. So what happens when a person gets it, all their nerves start getting out of control. So you'll see the person starts going like this with their shoulders, and then they start, you know, the whole arm starts going up, and then the legs start going up, and soon enough, you know, the whole arm is going like this, and then everything's going up. And it ends when it comes to their throat, you know, it can come all the way up to their throat, and when it comes to their throat, they can't eat anymore because everything that you put in there, they just spit it out. It's a very, very painful disease, and it's much more painful to deal with it with a loved one because you're basically seeing them being lost and it lasts it lasts a good year a couple years to happen it's not like something past it, it it's a slow process the woman that i'm talking about today she had probably six seven children five of them had huntington's disease and she went after one and another taking care of them they all got it when they were older, so some of them had children already. There was, you know, one of the mothers, her children were afraid of her because they would come close to her to give her a hug or something, and the mother would go like this, and so all the children had a bad memory of her. She took care of every single one of them, feeding them, taking care of them, bringing them to Mass, bringing them the sacraments. Another one of her ch children died murdered on a railroad track. They put him on the railroad track to kill him. That was what I heard. And she had to go to the morgue to find his, his body. She buried all her children in her house. Her house was struck by a F5 tornado. Uh, she had arthritis. Her hands were, and I met her, I told you, I met this woman. She, her hands were like, you know, when someone has really bad arthritis and they're like, you have like really bad uh yeah, joints, joints and she couldn't grab anything. Her, her fingers were all, you know, with those uh, problems that they have. And I would talk to her, totally normal. Totally normal. She'd come in her wheelchair and, you know, help me to eat and this and that, whatever. Every week trying to call father to get the mass in her house, get the sacraments to her children. I never in my life saw her cry, not once. And when she was telling me her story, I was just looking at her like, is this, is this, is this real? Like, uh, is this really what happened? Totally normal woman. And she would just take the crosses. But she suffered. You know, her patience wasn't to not suffer anymore. She suffered. But the thing is, she got to the habit where it was like, okay, this is my daily bread. And this is how I'm getting to heaven. Uh, her death was amazing, too, because she went to, I'll save you the whole story, but I, one part that called my attention, she went to the hospital. And in the hospital, this nun dressed in black with tattoos came up to her and would tell her, you're going to die, you're going to die, and this and that. If you go to your home, you're going to die, and this. She was very mean to her. And we, I wasn't there, but someone who was there was telling me, maybe that person was possessed because it was very strange. And this woman from her deathbed would be saying to her, I want to go home. I want to go home to my Lord because she had the Blessed Sacrament at home. When she died, she's one of the few persons that I know that died with a priest by her side. It wasn't me, it was another priest, but uh, one priest was there by her side when she passed away. If that's not sanctity, I don't know what is. I mean, I, 
I really don't think I'll ever see that such an example of patience maybe in my life. But that really, you know, it really puts you in perspective to see like, okay, I'm, I'm again, not, not doing too bad, right? It's a good example of patience. And I'm, you know, it's a blessing that we got to see people like that in our lifetime. So at the end, in our final prayers, maybe we can add her to our intentions. You know, I'm sure she would appreciate that. Okay, so I'll give you very briefly, because I do want to go into something else and the talk is quite, it's already one hour, but we'll try to make it as short as possible. Are there any questions so far? You mean I get to know what level five is? Oh, level five, I forgot about that. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, you're, you're not gonna make it. Uh, level five is actually what he calls the madness of the cross. And he calls it like that, refer referencing to St. Paul and St. Francis and St. Teresa of Avila. And that is basically when you're not only not shrinking away from suffering, you're actually seeking for suffering already. It's like, okay, I love this. This is the cross. I'm just uh, moving forward towards it. Uh, this is, I don't know if you know the story, but when St. Francis of Assisi got his stigmata, what he was asking God for, he was praying to, to our Lord. And he was saying, Lord, make me feel as much love as, as you felt, as you had on the cross, and as much pain as you had on the cross. He was praying that. And that was when he received the stigmata. That was the madness of the cross. He was basically mad for the cross. And so that was his prayer. So this is, this is the top. You know, when you get there, there is as much patience as you can have, and you're totally identified with our Lord. You know, St. Teresa of Avila would say, to suffer or to die, St. John of the Cross, to suffer and to be um, despised for you, Lord. So this would be this fifth degree. So, Roya Marin tells us of five, I won't write them down, but uh, I just mentioned them to you. He says five reasons why we want to practice patience, or rather, Reasons to help us practice patience. The first one is conformity with God's will. We know that everything that God, everything that God decrees is for our good. I'll just mention this like a parenthesis. St. Alphonsus says, St. Alphonsus wouldn't like the word conformity. He would say uniformity. Because he would say, it's one thing to be conformed to be kind of like aligning with someone. But for St. Alfonso, it was uniformity. That means you not only align with the will of God, you want the will of God. It's just one will. Uniformity is just one form. So the first reason to practice patience is this. Nobody loves me more than God. Even myself. I don't love myself as much as God loves me. Quite the contrary, actually. So nobody loves me more than God. If he's permitting this to happen, it's good for me. All I have to do is go with the flow, go with the flow with him. The second thing that he mentions is the sufferings of our blessed Lord and our blessed mother. I'm just going to abbreviate it like this. The cross in the middle. So remember the sufferings of our Lord and our blessed mother. When you want to be patient, again, think of the passion. Think of the sufferings of our blessed mother. That always helps us. The third 
would be atonement. I hope I spell it right. Do you have a double T? I think so. No, no, it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't happen. I was just testing your grammar. <laughs> Atonement, and this is a very good one. This is a very good one because a lot of times, I don't know. I can speak for myself. I have a lot of sins to atone for. So when something bad happens to me, I go like, okay, there goes some few years in purgatory. Just gotta be happy about it and not complain, right? Uh, so this is a, a very good one too. When you have to go, especially, especially when you have to suffer other people. This is very useful. Because remember the words of our Lord in the gospel. You know, do not look at the speck in the in your eye in your brother's eye. Look at the beam in your own eye. And the one that gets gets me more is this one. If if you judge, you will be judged. In the manner that you're judged, you will be judged. So if, if I forgive other people, God will forgive me. And this is basically this. If when I see the underwear and I'm like, again, you know, instead of that I say, okay. How many sins do I have in my life, in my soul, that God cleans over and over and over again? And every time I go, perhaps, to confession with the same sins, and God will forgive me for those same sins. Well, I'm going to pick up this underwear and say, Lord, this is for all the filth that you have to pick up for my soul. And that's good atonement, right? If you think about it that way. Uh, and how many things can you find in your daily life like that? You know, when... Someone breaks your plans or someone doesn't take consideration of you think I always go back to the confessional and I say how many times our Lord has taken into account that and forgiven me for my lack of consideration, forgiven me for my lack of paying attention to him, how many times he has given I've been given advice and I don't listen to it, and I'm disobeying to the advice that I'm given. Well, if my children are disobeying disobedient to me, I always point at you, but it's because you sit there. <laughs> <laughs> If my children disobey, I can always say, how many times have I disobeyed God? Well, if God puts up with me, uh, I can put up with my child and just keep trying. In the same way that God keeps trying for me, I'll keep trying with my child. And that's very consoling when you have a child that is, you know, a little bit astray. You can say to yourself, as long as I try with him, as long as I pray for him, as long as I do penance for him, I will say him, poor guys. Uh, <laughs> God is going to try with me and he's gonna do penance for me and he's gonna pray for me. You can say that God prays for one, but you know, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you know, offered his sufferings for us, our Blessed Mother prays for us. So in as much as I do it for him, I'm gonna get it from God, so it's a good reason for me to do it. The fourth motive, the fourth and the fifth goal in the higher perfection, the fourth is cooperation with Christ. Here, you're kind of beyond the selfish motives. Now you're not just thinking about yourself or your family even. You're actually saying, I want to help Christ to save souls. And that's a good reason for me to do it. And the fifth one is the glory that we will have in heaven. Don't think... I'll try to, to cut it as short as possible, but don't think that this is little. Because a lot of times people think, well, my sufferings are not too much. My offerings are not too much. There's not much I can do. No, no, don't think that. God is very generous. And, and remember that when you're in the state of grace, he's not 
Mary or Stephanie or whether it is suffering? Is Mary or Stephanie joined with Christ? So that is very meritorious, very, very meritorious. And you don't know, maybe that underwear that you picked up from the floor is going to save three people in China that day. What if that was the case? What if those little things that you have to suffer and put up with are saving people in China, in Timbuktu, in Russia, in Mexico, in the Novos Ordo, people that died without the sacraments because they didn't know where they were? You don't know. So this is huge over here, and it's often overlooked. And, and we think, as Catholics, there was a communist writer who would say that we think very little in, as Catholics. We think like dwarves. We forget that this is God we're dealing with. I mean, he can do a lot. And the same goes for glory in heaven. There's nothing wrong with thinking of that. We're thinking of the reward that I will get in heaven. That's also a good reason to suffer. We're almost done. Any questions or comments? Okay. I cheated. I made the class longer by having the camera fail. <laughs> uh, let me see if there's any questions here. Okay. Okay, I'll finish with the golden tip. This is This is the tip that you probably won't see in many books. I get it from St. John of the Cross, but it's not me. But this is the key in as much as we can for our natural practicing of patience. I was gonna give you, I was gonna bring a whole rig here to show you graphically what I mean. That was too expensive and I didn't have the time uh, to do it, but here's what I was going to do. I was gonna put a container with water, then another container with water, and then a hose going down from here to here, and the water was going to be flowing from one to the other. They're like, wow, where is this going? Uh, <laughs> you can imagine how disastrous that would have been here, so that, that's why I, I didn't do it. And then what I was going to do, I was going to grab a syringe, it's not over, a syringe with like a black liquid, and as the water is flowing, I was going to put the syringe in there and start pouring the black liquid so you could see the water turning into black and blackening the whole thing. What was this supposed to represent? In your soul, during your daily life, let's say that that hose is your daily life, the devil can come and bring that dark liquid, which can be anger, sadness, bad thoughts, and all that stuff. And the devil does that, and he'll continue to pour it in there to get blackened everything else in your life. Something very small can happen, very, very small. And that's the little syringe. It's a very tiny little thing, but it's going to be blackening the whole of your life. And the devil keeps that going in the flow. You know, during the day when you're working, wherever you're going, he's going to be like, shh, shh, shh. This is, a, this is going to be a special class, but here's how you, you see temptations very clearly, because it's like something, something pecking in your brain. I don't know about you. I can get consecrated. Conse con Consecrated. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I can get, uh, I can concentrate for very long. If I try to concentrate in my meditation, for example, my mind is like, just went out somewhere and it's like, how'd that happen? Gotta bring it back. But you see these thoughts that are just like, literally pecking on your brain. And if you think about it, it's like, I don't have that power of concentration. This is not me. There's no way I, that's me. 
And not only that, it usually comes with insisting words. The devil will come with insisting words. Like, for example, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Here you go again. Or he's always doing this. He's always doing this. He's always doing that. You know, here he goes again. He did it the last day. He does it again. Always, always, always. Never, never, never. That's that's the bird pecking there. I really like that scene of the passion of Mel Gibson. Remember that scene of the passion where our Lord is in the agony in the garden? And the devil is doing that. He's talking to our Lord and he says, uh, his sins are too big for you, for anyone to pay for them. It's too big. It's too big. Never. It's too big. Never. That's how the devil goes. But he, he can put those thoughts in our mind. So it's kind of important to, to recognize when the devil is attacking. And that's the trick that I want to give you. Thoughts. It's all in those thoughts. If you are able to recognize during the day where the syringe came in and where those thoughts are being poured, then you kind of pinpoint the disease and then you say, okay, get it out, block it, and I'm not gonna not gonna listen to that. I'm not gonna listen to it. And that's how you're patient. When we're impatient, usually it's because we allow that to come and we don't control it. And so we keep we keep it going and we just get like filled up. And so for example, my husband might have done something in the morning. That upset me. Uh, he might have said something mean or rude or whatever you might think. And your husband forgot about it. I mean, he went out in the street and then someone, you know, gave him a pe 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 pe. And he's like, ah, yours. This. And he forgot about you. And he comes back home. He's like, okay, I had a good day. We have this good thing going. And then he comes back home and you're like, <laughs> and you could see the fire and the, 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 the snake rattle tail here. Uh, <laughs> and it's because you allowed that to be building up in yourself. The trick to be patient is to silence your thoughts. And that was St. John of the Cross advice to the religious. He would say, don't think of anything that's happening in your house. Don't think of anything that's happening with the people around you. Don't judge anyone around you. Your thoughts should always be on the good that I'm supposed to do. And when the bad thoughts come, I just kick them out. When it's your duty, you think about it while the time that is your duty, and then you stop. For example, I have a child that is a problem. At the moment that he's a problem, I think of it. While I have to determine what I'm going to do with him, I think of it. Once I got my solution, once I know what to do, I don't think of it anymore. Out of my head. And I'm going to think about how I want to love our Lord, how I want to take care of my other children, what do I need to do for my husband, my next duty, my next project distract myself with my next projects, but my thoughts are going to be clean. My thoughts are my, my work table. I'm not going to allow this piece of filth to be here. I, it was here. I cleaned it up. Okay. What's next? That is the key for patience. You might say to my, to my, to me, that sounds very good. <laughs> but that thought's still there. <laughs> that's why, that's how you acquire the habit. I'll, I'll speak for myself. It took me at least two or three years to see improvement in this part for me. Being in a monastery, uh, I should say. And I, I don't put myself as an example, but the reason I, I think it's useful to hear someone that actually is, you know, striving for that. So that, that kind of gives you an idea. You know, it's not something that is going to it's going to be like, oh, I went to the talk this weekend and then this next week I'm going to be just like very cheerful about the underwear on the floor. Uh, <laughs> no, you know now. 
So now you start working for it until it becomes a habit that you have, and you will see how it becomes easier for you. So we don't, we as parents, father, the husband and wife, should not rehash what the children have done. Or shouldn't we talk, talk about it and think about it for weeks on end? Well, here's, you know, to say it again, it's just, you think about it as long as you need to get to the solution, to get to what you need to do, once you have determined that. What if there's no solution? Then you just think about it to pray for it, and that's it. But then after that, you have to go back to your peace. And that's that's where you have to go to your peace. This is very important because otherwise, and I, <clears throat> I apologize if it's going a little bit longer, you know, it's her fault. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, this is very important because if you are peaceful, you actually become more helpful. And it's, it's crucial. Why does it happen sometimes that, you know, I have a problem child and every time that we come, it's an argument. It's because I, I don't go back to this. I'm staying in there. And so I'm, I'm ready to punch, you know, and when he, when he comes, it's like, boom, as soon as something comes up, everything bursts out. If, on the other hand, I think to myself, okay, I need to pray for him. I'm going to pray for him or her. I'm going to say her from now on, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to pray for her. And then after that, I'm not going to let myself be troubled about it. Unless it is to pray for her or to do penance for her. But other than that, I'm not going to keep rolling on it. Keep on my peace. Be happy with our Lord. Be happy with the life that I have. Try to live my life in a good way. Try to bring my guardian angel, the Holy Saints, to be with me. And that way I'm peaceful and happy. And what happens is that when my troubled child, her, <laughs> comes, comes, she finds me happy. And for her, that's a whole, like, well, what? you're supposed to be angry. Uh, and, and that alone sometimes is a huge difference, a huge change. I remember this case, uh, there was a certain boy in the school that we had a, an argument, a little bit of strong argument, and he was angry with me. He said, like, I'm never going to talk to you again. And I was like, okay. And then the next day, I, I, I was angry. But then I was like, okay, not going to worry about it. I've done what I needed to do. The next day, I showed up and I was laughing and joking with all the kids. And he would be like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be messing around with the kids. And with uh, for three or four weeks, I'll be honest, it was on my mind. It was in the back of my mind, I was worried. But I thought to myself, no, let him be miserable if he wants to. I mean, I've done what I needed to do. And after like four weeks, he one day came up, hey, can I play too? Sure, of course, no problem. Um, so that really helps you keep your peace. With In marriage, this is super important, in marriage. Because, okay, I promised I was going to end, but how many times has it happened? And uh, this is very common. He, the person will do something, it wasn't even that bad, but you interpreted it and you put all this context to it that maybe didn't even have. And, and you're super angry about it. And you're thinking, well, he's doing this, he's doing that, maybe this means this and this and that. And he said that word, that means that her mother, his mother told him that. And it's like, <laughs> all these stories starts building up in your head and then it turns out, no, maybe he was just watching a football game and that's where he got it. I mean, and I'm not really that deep. Uh, 
no offense, but it's true. Uh, or rather, they're not as emotional, I should say, as women are. Um, so you, you get my point? So the key, seriously, this is something that should be quite consciously done. Control your thoughts. In the same way that you control your mouth. It, it doesn't suffice with you keeping quiet in your mouth. You have to keep quiet in your brain. And this is going to take years, but it's very, very useful. And especially if you control it to have always positive thoughts, always good things in your mind. Okay? That is, I think this is the key to patience. Like if you strive for this and you do all the other stuff, this is the key to the first two degrees. And from the third to the fifth, as I said, that's a spiritual life that is becoming closer to Christ. Okay? Any more questions? Just a comment, Father, on the, on the, uh, the, the black liquid coming into our thoughts and you're not enough and all that negative. I heard someone say, this is going to sound like I'm swearing, but I'm not. It's true. That listening to him, Satan is a goddamn liar. Mm-hmm. And yet, everything he's saying, <laughs> but it's true. That's mm-hmm. what he is. And, and he wants to put all this negativity darkness into our brains and, and to notice wait that's not me that's not me. Mm-hmm. that is quite swearing I think but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is true no and I would say it hey St. Francis uh, called Satan really bad names um, <laughs> he's a liar and and okay so I just just to go a little bit more into that he's a liar and he's cruel and that is one part, I'd like to speak about that at some point. You know, we have this idea of the devil, like this little guy with red horns that is kind of like silly and stupid and goofy. He's cruel. And, and one of the saints says something that determines diabolical cruelty is that men, if, if I see my enemy on the floor, death, I'm, I've had enough. You know, he's defeated. I don't do anything to him. Men, the weaker the enemy, the less aggressive they are. If my enemy is very strong, then I become very aggressive. If my enemy is weaker, I don't even care about him. The devil is the opposite. The stronger than his enemy is, the less aggressive he is because he's actually a coward. But the weaker that his enemy is, the more fierce he becomes. So when the devil sees us depressed or or sad or something, when he knows that we're vulnerable, he gets more uh, furious, more, more, how would you say that? Ferocious. He gets more ferocious. And so that's why... That's why when people are depressed, the devil is like, boom, 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 boom. And I experienced this myself. When you're vulnerable, that's when he comes after you. And so that, that's good to know. And, and you mentioned a very good point. We'll cover that in another class. St. Ignatius gives us a, a number of signs to know when the devil is attacking. And some of them are sadness, fear, anger. Whenever I have any thought or something that is bringing me to sadness, fear, or anger, you can, you can be totally assured. This is not coming from God at all. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. I'll give you an example. You see something at the church and you think to yourself, well, that should be corrected. And you go like, oh, but that brings to you anger or it brings to you sadness, like thinking, oh, the situation is really bad. Not coming from God. Not coming from God. If there's any of those three, it's not coming from God. When God inspires us something, he always comes with a lot of clarity, with a lot of peace. It can come with suffering but peace at the same time. And I, I think everyone, everyone can experience that themselves. So, <clears throat> any other questions? No? Okay, thank you for putting up for so long, and we'll end with our prayers. 
<clears throat> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Jesus, eternal word of the Father, thou hast said, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. We thank thee for allowing us to listen once more to the words of spiritual instruction. Assist us by thy grace carefully to preserve them and devoutly to live according to their holy teaching, that we may thus become pleasing to thee in this world and enjoy thee eternally in the next, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost live us and reign us, one God, world without end. Amen. A Christian Mother's Daily Prayer for Children. O Mary, Immaculate Virgin and Sorrowful Mother, intercede for our children with the divine heart of Jesus, thy Son, who refuses nothing to his mother. Holy Guardian Angels, St. Joachim, St. John, much beloved precursor of our Lord, St. Joseph, powerful patron, St. Augustine, St. Anne, mother of the Blessed Virgin, St. Rose of Lima, St. Monica, all ye holy fathers and mothers, pray for them and for us. All ye holy children, pray for them and for us. Amen. Prayer, O God, who has given us some of the blessed in heaven as special patrons, grant in thy mercy that we and our children, through the merits of the same and of all the saints, may receive the help of which we stand in need and practice the virtues taught us by their example. May we, O Lord, through the honor we pay them, become worthy of thy good pleasure and share in their powerful intercession through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for the absent, for the sick, and suffering members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Let us pray for the children of the members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray for the deceased members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. And let perpetual life shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. Let us pray for the grace of a happy death for that member of the confraternity who will be next to thy. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray for the intentions especially recommended to our prayers. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Let us pray for the intentions of all the members of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray, O sweet Lord Jesus Christ, for the love of thy most sacred heart, we beseech thee to have pity upon all whom we have recommended to thy mercy, and to aid them with thy grace, who live and reign us with God the Father and the Holy Ghost, forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without ending. Prayer for the children, all. Look, the most holy mother of our Lord, Upon the great number of children, 
who through the fault and negligence of their parents stray in the path of iniquity and vice. Have mercy on so many poor young souls who might be saved but will not, either because their mothers are ignorant of their duties or unwilling to fulfill them. Remember the bitter passion and cruel death endured by thy divine Son for those poor children. Permit not that his great love, his infinite merits, be lost to them. For the sake of that keenest of all swords that pierced thy hinder heart, when you stood at the foot of the cross, obtain for those erring mothers the grace of their vocation, obtain likewise for their children the spirit of obedience and grateful love, that the desires of the sweet heart of Jesus may be fulfilled by both parents and children. Amen. Prayer for the Ash Confraternity, the priest. O glorious Queen of heaven and earth, thou art the chosen patroness of all Christian mothers. Bless then the Arch Confraternity, may it spread far and wide. Obtain, we beseech thee, that all mothers may seek protection in its bosom, and under its guidance become perfectly what thou would have them and what they ought to be, truly Christian mothers, thine images and worthy representatives with their children. O thou most pure, most compassionate mother of the divine Saviour, and of all the children of the Heavenly Father, who have been regenerated in the Holy Sacrament of Baptism. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. O Mary, my mother, to thee do I flee. And now thy heart is so gentle, so loving, so mild. O oh, Mary, my mother, I'm longing to see the glory of thy Son has set over me. That heaven of glory, so purely thine own, Amen. Dios te nieve, I'll give you my blessing. Benedicio de Omnipotentis, Patris et Fili et Spiritus Santi, descendat super vos, emanet semper. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sorry for the length, but I was...